Bible study. There we go. Test one, two. Testing one, two. Hey, I hear myself. That's good. Ding dong. Oh, give me some. Oh, that works too. All right. Everybody ready to be offended? All right, good. Well, yeah, I was joking with Ann yesterday about today. I'm like, I'm going to have to try to make them say it over and over and over. Like I do with the kids, I'd be like, you know, and Jacob had many male servants and female servants and camels and? Okay, donkeys, thanks. You just wanted to say that. Perfect, perfect, perfect. All right, so it's the same thing here. I'm going to have to have you fill in the blank because the translators don't really do it right. None of them that I found. They make it, they tame, they make it tame. So I, I probably should tell you what I'm talking about. Otherwise you're just like, what is he talking about? Oh, I heard you're talking to mom. I know exactly what you're talking about. Were you home for that? Yeah, that was oh. right after I got home. Okay. What was the question? Well, the, no, it's not the question, it's the answer that matters. We're playing Jeopardy here. Right? Isn't it the answer? And then you're supposed to ask the question, what is? Yeah, okay. What is it, Pastor, you're talking about? All right, the word in verse uh, 4, I, this is on your notes too. Oh, I didn't get a copy of my notes. Where's my notes? Yep, there it is. I'll just read what it says and then you'll be able to figure this out. Altars, chapels, sanctuaries, and idols are described in various ways. The ESV and the New King James Version, probably whatever Bible you have, fail to re-render the specific phrase for idol here accurately. It's a compound phrase of feces and dung with idol. It's a word. It's kind of like we say, what would be a compound word like that? Where we put two words together to make a new word. Uh, oh, I don't know. Off? No, that doesn't work. I don't know. Anyway, it's two words put together. And they, they just translate it as idol. Here's a quote from a commentary. Modern sensitivities prevent translators from rendering the expression as Ezekiel intended it to be heard. But he, had he preached today, he would probably have identified these idols with a four-letter word for excrement. I guess you could say crap if you want, but that's a little less crude. No, I like to translate it as, okay, everybody ready? Plug your ears. Shit gods. All right. We said it. So when... You could do that, or idols. You could call them feces deities. That sounds better, right? Feces deities. Uh, now we can laugh about it a little bit, but that's, I think, we, I, I warned you that uh, Ezekiel shows, he speaks with a pretty severe um, judgment, right? And sometimes the, like the psalmist will describe idol, idols as being dead, as being worthless, as not seeing and hearing, you know, like the monkey. Hear no evil, see no evil, you know? And, that, and then, like, uh, Elijah with, uh, with the prophets of Baal, remember, he mocks them. Maybe your God's out relieving himself. You remember that story? Speaking, yeah, the, the Bible is pretty scatological. That's um, conversations about the stuff that goes in the toilet. 
Yeah. Don't turn off TV. Yes, sir. Well, my son is still doing I think it was like fifth and sixth grade. And uh, there was a story about the cave's solid that went to the Oh, yeah, when he's in the cave, taking a dump. He relayed himself behind the set. He's going to the bathroom. Yeah. Well, where else are you going to take a dump? They don't have running water. So they, they all used a cave. Can you imagine? You wouldn't sit in there very long. One to three minutes, max. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, except nobody would go in the cave except to do their business. It would have been an ideal place to kill him. I'm glad that was in your Sunday school. That's a nice story. Yeah, it was David. Right, yeah, he used the sword to cut off a piece just to show that he could have killed him. Yeah. All right, we should probably read the text. And feel free to mentally fill in the blank when we get to idol feces deities. <laughs> Esther or Dorothy, what do you want? Esther's not here. You want your what? You want your jacket? Here, you need help? Okay, good. Okay, you behave. Don't knock over your water, etc. All right, so who wants to read? scroll. There you go. Your incense altars cut down and your words wiped up. And a slain shall fall in your midst and you shall know that I am the Lord. Mm -hmm. uh, let's, get, let's do one more paragraph. Okay. That I will leave some of you alive when you have one of the nations, some who escape the sword, and then you are scattered through the countries and those who intense stuff, huh? Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, we have a change of uh, direction, I suppose, is what you would say, because uh, the Lord said to him to set his face towards the mountains of Israel and prophesy against the mountains. Um, this is unique to Ezekiel. Uh, it's, there's only one expression in Joshua about the hills of, of Israel, but uh, as far as like actually directing traffic toward, you know, your eyes or focus upon the mountains. It only happens in Ezekiel, the mountains of Israel. All right. 
So, he, and what is he doing? I, I gave you a suggestion on the sheet, I think. Yeah, that, uh, that he's, he's expanding the scope from besieged Jerusalem, which we've been talking about. Remember when he's laying on the ground on his right, left side and then his right side in front of the little the, the brick that he had carved the city into and the little siege wall and all that, right? That was specifically Jerusalem. Now he's expanding it out and it's the whole land of Israel. Um, he uses the expression 16 times. So what about mountains? Uh, mountains are a place of worship, whether true worship or idolatrous, all right? So, you, I mean, there is true worship at mountains, like Mount Sinai, right? When the giving of the law and the 70 elders go up on the mountain, right? And they, they feast with God on the mountain. So that, that's a right worship. It's appointed by God, um, but it can be idolatrous too. And then I gave you another note that's probably helpful here. Remember, Ezekiel's writing um, to people in exile in Babylon, which is, I've been doing this with the kids because, um, you know, as originally Abraham was from ba what became Babylon, from Ur of the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are that, one of those tribes of Babylon, the ruling tribe. All right. Anyway, so it's way to the way to the east, past the Persian Gulf. You know what Persian Gulf? What's over there? I don't have a map. Uh, anyway, you go down the, the the Euphrates, where it goes. It does go into the Persian Gulf. The Euphrates is that right? I think so. Yeah. So you just go across the Euphrates, and it's on the other side of the Euphrates. So past Iraq, and or a little bit of actually, I think it includes Iraq. Then, yeah. Uh, the difference in geography is is astounding. So Babylon is flat. You know, it's like going to um, western Nebraska. Ever been there? Yeah, there's no need to. Right, it's just flat. <laughs> Nothing to see here. It's like, please, when can we get to, to like Montana or something where there's hills again? Or at least, you know, like Devil's Tower or something. Right. <laughs> um, right, I suppose. Well, it's good for ranching, yeah. It's just, it's kind of easy. It's kind of like Iowa, except you're, Iowa, you're going up and down at least. But you're also like, why is this never changes? It's just the same the whole way across. All right. So, uh, but if, if it were flat, you compare that back to, this would, this would evoke some nostalgia for them, is my suggestion as well. Because they'll remember the hills. Oh, wasn't it nice when there actually was a terrain and it wasn't boring? Like, so I, that's why I like living here compared to Indiana. Indiana was much more boring, unless you go to southern Indiana. Right, but northern, north, northwest Indiana, blah. and here at least we have the kettles, and we got, yeah, rolling hills. It's beautiful. It's nice because it's interesting. <laughs> anyway, that would be that would be part of what would be going on here. Um, and I gave you some notes about about this as well. Oh, one other note is that this theme of the mountains of Israel will come back in chapter thirty-six, but that's in the happy part of the book. So that in that chapter it comes back, but then there's a reversal. So instead of being prophesying against the mountains, they'll be, the Lord will come and return on the mountain for them, which is beautiful, right? So you just have to be patient, and sometimes a very long time. <laughs> Chapter 36, don't know when we'll get there. It might be in, uh, I don't know. I'm not going to make any promises, never mind. Oh, uh, let's see, what did I miss? Oh, the beginning, actually. The word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord came to me. That. That happens um, quite a bit, actually, pretty much every time. We saw this already in chapters 1 through 5. Uh, it's like the word event formula is what they call it, or message reception formula. So first, there's the word proclaimed, and then there's the consequence of it, the actual thing that will happen or has happened. Make sense? So this is, 
uh, what would be a, what would be a, well, teachers have these kind of, they have like code phrases they use, and then the kids know. Like when the teacher says, uh, what do they say here? And the kids all respond, yes, yes. Class, class. Class, class. And the kids respond, yes, yes. Right? It's just like that. The word of the Lord came to me, and you know there's going to be an oracle, and there's going to be, so there's going to be a word, and then there's going to be a consequence for that word. Right? That's what it means. Okay. Good. Uh, and the way that this one works, this chapter works, is there's two oracles. My pen go. Oh, they took all my pens. The ladies took my pens. I don't know if they took my doesn't matter. So there's the, uh, the word, and then there's the, uh, the event. And then what ends up happening is that you get the word again. And it's kind of like, what, how would I describe it? Like an aftershock or an afterwave, you could call it, or an echo. So if you heard some repetition today, that's the reason why. Because they'll say, here's what's going to happen, and then they say, and then here's what's going to happen again. And you're like, well, why did you say it twice? We got it the first time, but that's how it works. Okay. Wow, that handwriting is really terrible. Uh, what else about mountains and valleys? Uh, if you don't know, the geography of the Promised Land, Canaan, later named Israel, right? And then Judah and Israel and da-da-da, is the mountain ranges run north-south. Mountain ranges. I don't know. Do we have mountains around here? Is there anything they call a mountain? There's Holy Hill, but that's not a mountain. Yeah, and it's a kind of a big hill. Yeah, okay. Like, what's the distinction between a hill and a mountain? I guess height, but how, how, do, you, how do you make the decision? I think it's whatever people call it, right? Yeah, so the same thing here. They have mountains, but they're kind of big hills, but they're also hills. And they, they run kind, pretty much north-south, and then what ends up happening is that... The, so the ranges go like this, but then there's ravines that go in between them, kind of east-west, you know, perpendicular. So it's up and down and up and down and up and down, especially as you get into the far north, you know, like into Lebanon or somewhere up there. What? Mounds? Mounds? No, that's smaller than a hill, I guess. I don't know. All right. Um, now, the mountains of Israel, I'm not sure he's talking about the actual mounds because of what he describes happening on the mountains. So uh, mountain, there's a, it's basically the same word, but it's often translated as high place. You heard about high places. Yeah, these are places of um, worship, usually, almost always false worship, are called high places. Like Ezekiel and Mount Carmel. Oh, there's a mount, Mount Carmel. Yeah, in the north, right? And Ezekiel's on mount with, with the prophets of Baal. I already mentioned that once today. Right, and that, but the altar there was an altar to Baal, and then and then Ezek, or excuse me, Elijah builds his own mount, uh, altar there to sacrifice on. So there's this like we're gonna we're gonna take this mountain and make it one of true worship for God, yeah. Uh, high places, I suppose the high place idea is not not all that outrageous. It's kind of what you would expect because Genesis five, right, or is it six with the Tower of Babel? What are you trying to do? They're trying to get up to God, right? Yeah, so you go up to a high place because that's going to get you closer. Aren't we we're kind of silly people, aren't we? Well, I mean, if you're at the top of the mountain, it's almost, did anybody see, I've mentioned this before, um, 
the movie, not Free Solo, that's the one free climbing. The one with the guy who climbs ice mountains, mountains with ice and snow. I told you to watch it. You didn't watch it? Yeah. Well, that was on Disney, and then we unsubscribed. Um, anyway, this is it's this great movie. It's talking about this guy who, who climbs without assist, just free climbing. But he, not just like, you know, Devil's Tower or something, right? But he free climbs mountains with ice and snow. And I remember the, 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 the peak that it was going to be like the thing to climb. And he finally climbs it. And they have the video because you could get, somehow could get cell reception from the top of the mountain. Weird. Anyway, he was, or he at least recorded a video of he and his friend. They made the climb, right? And then, then the movie goes to black. And there's the white words up on the screen. Oh, and by the way, on the way down, they got caught in a, in a snowstorm and they died. <laughs> They're like, oh, you got up to the top of the mountain and you make out. And then you died. Yeah, right. It's just kind of silly the way that we think that we can, you know, through our works, our actions, or even just going up to the top of a mountain. Oh, they really filmed it, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it was real. Mm. Oh, this is a documentary. This guy really did it. Apparently, it's, there's, there's people that are nuts. I don't know. I guess there are. Right, so uh, what did I write? Uh, Ezekiel has, has in mind mountains as high places with shrines and altars as places of worship. Sometimes these high places are even in valleys and inside cities, and they're still called high places. How's that for an oxymoron? It's a high place, and it's in a valley. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, what's interesting is it's mentioned all over the place, especially in the prophets. And we don't have very many of them. They're not there, which makes me wonder if somebody didn't just go through and systematically just destroy them, like God said would happen to them. Huh. Well, anyway, they found, they have one at Dan uh, Megiddo, which will come back later on in the book, from which we get the word Armageddon, uh, and then the place called Gazer. All right. And they, so there's some extent ones here, but not, that means they're still, you know, available archaeologically. They'll probably find more. I'm sure over time, you know. Um, so different kinds of worship happens there, but all, almost always sacrifice and burning incense. So this is one of the things that probably is um, foreign to you, but the worship that God appoints for His people doesn't look different than the worship that's appointed for all, that all the other people are doing. This is why Abraham's not astounded to sacrifice Isaac. Because that's what people do. Child sacrifice, not foreign to their God. Right? Um, so what, what's the only distinguishing thing? Well, I should say the only. But the primary, 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 there we go. Distinguishing thing about the worship that God, of God, the true God, Yahweh, versus the worship of all the idols and everything else. What's the only thing that distinguishes them? It's not what they look like. It's not what they even smell like. What's that? It is what they believe. It's the word that's attached to those things. This is the same as we have. You know, there's lots of traditions other, other than Christians that have ritual washings with water. Right? So what makes it baptism? Luther's right. It's the word of God. And with the water that does these things along with the faith which trusts this word of God in the water. Without God's word, the water is plain water and no baptism. Right. Yeah, it's the same story. Without God's word, if Abraham hadn't been given God's word, it would have been false worship to, to sacrifice Isaac. But because he had God's word, there wasn't false worship. And of course, that's a test anyway, as uh, Moses reminds us. Right, so just as an example. Yeah, 
Um, sometimes it's ancestor worship. That's nothing new. And you, how many of you are German ancestry? All right, most of you. Worshiping at trees is a thing as well, or under trees, or the sacred tree in the sacred groves. You know how many of our churches have, have church groves? They actually have, like, intentional planting of trees by their church. The churches this age, have, many of them do, and sometimes they'll have a gazebo, and they'll go out, and they'll even have church in the woods, just like their ancestors did for a thousand years. It's really kind of funny. Uh, you don't, we don't, I guess we have a church growth kind of back there. It's not ours anymore. Mm. Yeah. Someday I'll get, get around to writing my book on, uh, on the symbolism of church architecture. I have, People want me to write it. I don't know. Someday I'll get around to it. But um, especially not so much in our church because we don't have exposed columns. But you've been in churches where they have columns down the side, right? And then they have like like tapest like a span spanned ceilings, not just the dome like we have, the half dome or whatever you want to call it, concave. But uh, you know where there's all these like different and the columns support the the idea that's actually mimicking a grove of trees. The columns are trees. Those are the canopy of the trees. It, the symbolism is meant to be like a garden then. Yeah. Yeah, and they have leaves up on the ceiling, the whole deal. Yeah. Yeah, you'll see that often, actually. Oh, pillars that are trees. Yeah, probably in like Norway or something. It seems like something they would do. We're going to plant these trees. In 50 years, we'll finish the church. Yeah, yeah. Right, and it's, it's the same thing. They're worshiping under the trees. The Romans built it. Those Greek and Roman columns, that's where they were, they were mimicking trees. Yeah, this is the thing about Greek architecture, is that largely they just look at nature and they say, okay, let's see if we can copy that except with stones. Right? And it works, actually. You know, the, the way that God has ordered things actually works. Go figure. Anyway, that's a side note. Uh, worshiping at trees is the thing. That's going to come up later here. What, in verse, we haven't gotten to it yet. Verse 13, I think. All right, so we haven't read that far yet. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, yes, rarely these places are used for acceptable worship. I gave you the two exceptions. First Kings 3 is Solomon, and then First Samuel 9 is with Samuel himself. So there, there are some exceptions to this. But generally, uh, once the tabernacle, or once David and then Solomon build the, the, the temple, that is where God has put his name, that's where he's promised to dwell, and you don't worship anywhere else. Now, they did have synagogues, but that was for hearing God's word. But as far as the, the sacrifices, those would only be made at the temple. Make sense? And the feasts were only celebrated at the temple. Yeah. In Jerusalem. That's correct. One location. Yeah. Now, of course, Jesus inverts that because then he says, well, actually, I'm the temple, my body. And then he says, I'm going to join you to my body to make you living stones, quote First Peter. Right? And so now wherever you are, that's where the temple is. So now the temple has gone out into the world. And it's not geolocated in Jerusalem. We don't need... By the way, the Jews still want to build a third temple. Hey, three is a good number. Makes sense. Right? And, and all the, the Zionists or the Zoroastrians or whoever... Whatever secret society I mentioned in the... Uh, the Masons definitely want to rebuild the temple. They're really into building stuff that are, that's symbolic. But not for Jesus to come again. I don't know what they want to do with it. All right. <laughs> Sorry. 
I was looking at those things this week. That's why it came up in the sermon. Apologies. All right. I have a question. Yeah, Ron. Um, there's a phrase that comes up mm. frequently during the video. Yeah. Probably another phrase in the church is that um, at the end of the section, always at the end of the service, yeah. then you will know that I am the Lord. Correct. Or that they will know that I am the Lord. Correct. Look at verse 7 on your sheet. It's repeated here about that. 60 times in Ezekiel, almost. Yeah, in the whole book, right. Um, it's called by some the recognition formula that comes at the end of each oracle. So every time we have these visions, these oracles of, with a word and then an action, um, it'll end that way. It refers to knowing and confessing that Yahweh both speaks and fulfills his word. Right? Actually, it's explicit. That was explicit in verse uh, 10, right? And they shall know that I am the Lord. I have not said in vain that I will do this evil to them. Right? The Lord does what he says. Yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah, verse 7, verse 10. Right. And uh, the important thing to know, they, they will know that I am the Lord, or they shall know. Uh, that doesn't require you at all. God will be your God whether you want him to be or not. Oh, good question. Um... They is, of course, plural. Uh, and you, this one right here, is uh, yada, and it is second person plural. Yep. You plural, masculine plural, by the way, which is interesting. But still, yep, it's you plural. So you all, and here in specific, he means the mountains. Right, the mountains and the hills, you all know. And it's, it's kind of impersonal. But I, I think I have a note on there somewhere on the sheet that we've already established that Israel's not listening. And so as kind of a sign of their lack of listening, well, Ezekiel prophesies against the mountains too, the land itself, which is just to show how unrepentant they are. And that, what did Jesus say about um, uh, praying and you could cast the mountain into the sea? You know what I'm talking about? You're trying to get the quote. Don's trying to pull it out of this. It's deep in the recesses of your brain. My brain is, is deep. Where Jesus talks about, oh, it's, it's about faith like a mustard seed. You can say to the mountains, be cast into the sea. It's like if you really have deep, deep faith. Yeah, except it's not deep, deep faith. It's, it's simple faith. Yeah, even the stones can speak. All those languages. Yeah, it's the same thing here. Right, I mean, to say to a mountain, go into the sea, like, what is he talking about? It may be... I think he may be referring back to this kind of language. Why would you want the mountain and the sea to be destroyed, to be desolate? The mountain doesn't want to be. That doesn't matter. The mountain is the place of false worship. So it needs to be cast in the sea. All right, Don, you missed this. But every time we see idol, you're supposed to fill in the blank with four-letter word, God. Fecal deities. We'll, we'll, we'll say it nice and polite. I know. My, my uh, well, the, the, the translators don't seem to care. Like, let's not be precise. Well, why not? See, look, ESV, idols, idols. New King James, idols, idols. Doesn't, doesn't make any sense. This is, like I said, I told you when we started, be, well, you missed this. Are you, are you ready to be offended? Right? This is the kind of preaching that offends. 
right? And there is a place for that. Um, unfortunately, we don't want our sensibilities offended. We just kind of want to be encouraged to be, well, a little bit better than who, who we are. And then, but that's not how God works. The only story in the Bible is death and resurrection. He's always, to quote Romans 6 on baptism, right? We're always being buried with Christ so that the new man would, would come out of the grave, out of the dirt, right? With his righteousness and purity. Right? We don't want to die. We just want to be euthanized, maybe. <laughs> Slowly and without pain. Just give me the morphine drip so I can die in peace. Not like actually die in the peace of forgiveness of sins. Right? And so, yeah, this is the full severity of the law's judgment being brought up to bear upon the people. All right. Oh, and it's been two weeks because, you know, voters assembly. So we, we don't want to forget what we looked at two weeks ago, which is Leviticus 26, which is still in the background. So let's just jump there. And I'm going to show you a couple of verses that probably you heard here. Uh, oh, look how it starts. You shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set up an engraving stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You see? So look at like the curse here. Yeah. Here it is. I mean, there's so much. We read the whole thing, I think. Yeah, verse 23. And if by these things you are not reformed by me... But walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you, and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. So that, that's, of course, in the background when Jesus says, forgive your brother seven times 70. Yeah. Um, the Lord's you know, sins of the father to the third and fourth generation, but love to a thousand generations of those who love me. Right. Same idea. Anyway, verse 25, I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant. When you are gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you. So we have sword, pestilence, and then you shall be delivered into the hand of your enemy. When I have cut off your supply of bread, so now famine. So notice those three things. We have the sword, we have pestilence, and then we have famine. Ten women shall break your bread in one oven, and they shall bring back your bread by weight, and you shall eat it and not be satisfied. But... And after all this, if you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. Think like um, Micah or Malachi today, right? With his wrath coming, burning like hot like an oven. That's a real pleasant thing to hear, right? But notice what's the point. 30, and you'll hear this again and what we read, right? I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, cast your carcasses, on the lifeless forms of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. So the point is, I, this has been a long time since we said this, but it's worth remembering over and over, Ezekiel was trained as a Levitical priest, but he never got to serve. Because you don't get to serve till you're 30, and he, he's in exile when he's 30. So he takes, I would say, the Levitical, you know, liturgical life appointed by God, and he brings it to bear upon the people in exile through prophecy. Right. There's no temple. There's no worship in the temple, but he can still declare the same Levitical curses against them for their unbelief, even without a temple, which is important because that's still true today. Right. We don't need the temple for Jesus to say, uh, repent, right? All right. So you hear some echoes there. Oh, look at this. Uh, verse 31, I will not smell the sweet fragrance of your sweet aromas. That's going to come back. 
Right? So Ezekiel is really just repeating what God has already said to his people. Uh, of course, as all good preaching does, it just ends up sounding a lot like the last one because you didn't believe it in the first place and now you still don't believe it and so you keep having to hear it. Yeah. Or you changed your mind during the week or you just forgot. <laughs> Bye, Dorothy. I don't know where she's going, but she's leaving. All right, where were we? Uh, yeah, Ron already pointed out verse 7, right? You shall know that I am the Lord. Or to just quote the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. Is that, is that a command or is that a promise? I think it's a promise. Yeah, you can try to have other gods, but what's going to happen? I will be your God and you will be my people. Uh, you can do this the easy way or we could do this the hard way. <laughs> it's always the hard way, of course. No touch, Dorothy. Thank you. That's right. All right, so what did, did we read 8 through 10? I think we did, right? Yes. All right, so I will leave a remnant. Oh, thank goodness, a little gospel. <laughs> Not everybody's going to get wiped out. There will be a remnant. Um, in the end, who is the remnant? Only Jesus. Right? Yeah. Jesus is the only one who remains faithful unto death. And then now, of course, all those who are in him. Yeah. So, yeah, he does preserve the remnant, or he preserves the people for the sake of Jesus. You could say it that way too, right? That Jesus would come. So there's always the little little group of faithful people, you know, like uh, like Mary. Right? Let it be to me according to your word. Like, where does that kind of faith come from? Not from herself. What a gift, right? All right, there we got a little Christmas in. So that you may have some who escape the sword among the nations when you are scattered through the countries. Right? And that will happen after the destruction of the temple in 70. That they'll be scattered. So we talked about this. The prophecy isn't always just one event, but there can be like staggered fulfillments. You know, and then an ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. All right. Uh, oh, here's the other thing we need to talk about. Uh, this way that God describes unbelief. And uh, again, we've already, he's already called your idols shit gods, right? And now he's saying, and you're a whore. Yeah, that's really pleasant. <laughs> Thanks, Ezekiel. Uh, Hosea, uh, Hosea is the, like, is, if you want the like, full treatment of that topic, it's the book of Hosea, chapters 1 through 3 where uh, this shouldn't surprise us because actually uh, a lot of the false worship, especially that of Baal and Asherah, which is the common form of worship in, in Canaan, it, it also has a fertility cult attached to it. There's temple prostitutes, for example, and that's just part of it. You want to make, you want Asherah to listen, then you have to get her attention. And how do you get your attention? By singing loudly? Not exactly. This is not a very pleasant topic, but it's true. This still happens today. Um, uh, one of my professors went to uh, a Hindu temple in, in India and didn't, wasn't warned of the things you would see happening in the Hindu temple. And there was temple prostitution on full display in the Hindu temple. You just pay them. It's just part of the deal. That's how they, that's how they fund the temple. Yeah. Uh, so God just said, okay, that's actually a pretty good picture of what this looks like. Right? We heard it today. The bridegroom soon will call us, right? Who's the bridegroom? Christ. And who is the bride? The church. We are. That's right. 
And so then if we break the covenant promise, what does that make us? The adulterous bride. That's correct. Yeah. And Ezekiel is going to work with not only adultery, so just breaking the marriage covenant, but also um, the, the loose woman picture. We'll use other language if you want. Bobby's really anxious to call herself a whore. I don't know why. But... <laughs> just kidding. No. no. Um, loose woman. There you go. That's better. That's better. I told you this was going to be fun. Are offensive, which either way. <laughs> I told Ann yesterday, I said, we're, we're going to have to laugh through this because otherwise it's really serious. Uh, or just straight up, not even just loose women, but actually just straight up prostitution, just selling herself for money right, to the idol. All right, so it, it's right here, right? Um, then those who uh, of you who escape will remember me, verse 9, right? Among the nations where they are carried captive because I was crushed by their adulterous heart, which has departed from me. I just, I mean that, and by, by their eyes, which play the harlot after their idols. They will loathe themselves for the evils which they have committed in all their abominations. Right, so we have, we have two things happening there. We have an adulterous heart and adulterous eyes, right? They played the harlot with their eyes even, right? Well, we know this. This is just what we confess when we confess the sixth commandment, right? That lust is, or Jesus does this in the Sermon on the Mount. Looking lustfully is as much adultery as physical adultery. Yeah. And it's right here, right? He, he didn't make that up either. Actually, it was his teaching from the beginning, right? And notice that, that one little line here. It's just, I mean, it's actually, it's sad, but it's also beautiful in a way. Yeah, come on. I want to highlight it for you. There we go. I was crushed by their adulterous heart, which has departed from me. That's the Lord speaking. And um, I suggest, I think on the back maybe, uh, yeah, verse 9, that, uh, no, actually, not verse 9. Where did I put it? Maybe under verse 10. No, I didn't put it there either. Where did I put what I was going to say? I don't know. It's somewhere on here. Maybe in the previous verse. Yeah, actually, I did. It's under the verse 8. So the mountain motif involves both law and gospel, but in this chapter, it is primarily of judgment, law, for Israel's idolatrous worship. Uh, on them, on the mountains. The gospel answer finally comes upon Mount Calvary where Christ suffers Israel's belief. See Galatians 3. Imagine Jesus praying Ezekiel 9 from the cross. So he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But I think like we do on Good Friday at the afternoon service, we hear Jesus pray against us. What have I done to you, O my people? Right? How have I offended you? Answer me. Right? Imagine he said this. I was cr I'm crushed by your adulterous heart which has departed from me right that the offense of our idolatry it actually it not only offends jesus but in this case if he's the bridegroom it's i mean the, the scandal upon the the husband when his wife would commit adultery right and he feels it i mean it's like i'm crushed by it and the weight of that upon jesus i think it's kind of a um, it's almost a gospel moment in a way if, you, if you're able to know the story of Jesus and what he ends up doing for his uh, adulterous bride, which is die for her. Yeah. And that actually will come out in chapters 40 to 48, <laughs> where Jesus is the remnant, and we'll see all of that, but you're going to have to be very patient with me on that one. Right? Even among the covenant curses of Leviticus 26, there was the promise of a remnant. We didn't read that, all right? but it's there as well. God will restore his people 
chapter 33 to 48. Uh, and just, you know, I quoted Second Peter for you. God does not wish any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, so we talked about this, oh, probably a month or more ago. Remember, there's two kind, there, God's work can be described under two categories. You know, the work that is alien to him or foreign to him, his alien work, opus alienum, if you remember the Latin. No, you don't. Okay, that's fine. Um, that's his work of the law of judgment. That's his alien work. That's not his, but his, his proper work, opus propter, is, is to save, is to forgive. So the only reason he would put you under this, this word of judgment by Ezekiel and call you those names and call your gods little fecal deities or fill in the blank. The only way he would reason he would do that is to call you to repentance, that you would trust in him again. Why tear down the high places of worship? So you don't go to them anymore and you go back to where he's promised to be found. Right? But as I said, I think in the daily devotion yesterday, this kind of... Uh, this kind of action by God is violent, right? Repentance is a violent action. We think of it kind of like, well, I'm kind of okay. I just want to be a little better. And so God just, you know, make me a little bit better. And then, but that's not how he describes repentance. It's death and resurrection. It's drowning and dying and then coming to life again. The world looks at it as unloving. What, to, to call someone to repent? Yeah, they look at it as unloving. Well, and I think the reason for that, I mean, there's many reasons. One is that people actually love their sin, right? Uh, and they hate God's word. They don't want to hear it, call, God call a thing what it is. But um, the other reason uh, is that we're held captive to sin. That's another one, right? That it's, it's a slavery, it's a bondage. And we don't like to hear something that we, to, we, we don't like to hear God say that something needs to, change or end in us that we have no power to end or change ourselves right it's like telling the addict well just stop drinking have you any of you tried to do that yeah, yeah. yeah. and then you're like well let's make this more severe or whatever it doesn't work you can't just tell them the whole reason they're an addict is because they can't control themselves it's probably now even biochemical it's like hardwired into your brain in a way maybe not hardwired softwired right maybe it can be corrected but no, you don't just say, you know, change or stop. God doesn't either. And even when he says those things, like repent, change your mind, right? You have no power to do it. That's, that's the deceit of those words, of like the Ten Commands, for example. He get, makes commands and he gives you no power to complete them, to quote Paul. Well, then why would he give the command? That all things would be confirmed under sin, and that sin that would increase. And your idolatry and your adultery would become worse until there's nothing left. And the only one that can save is God, through Jesus. Right. It's, that's harsh, it's violent, it's, um, and ultimately it's just offensive, probably. You know? And God says, no, that's not good for you. And you're like, but I like it. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> don't put your hand on the stove. It's not good for you. And you're like, but it's warm. Until it's not warm. Yeah, you don't do it. That's right. Dorothy knows. She saw the fires in the street, and she's hot. Uh-huh. And she felt the wind on her face. She says, cold. Yes. All right. Uh, let's see. That's pretty good on that. Abominations, destruction. You've heard all that language before. Um, yep. Play the harlot with your idols, which... All right. I'll, I'll spare you that thought. 
I had a visual image there, but I'll leave it out. Okay, let's read the end of the chapter. Yeah. Thus says the Lord God. So this is another oracle. For they shall fall by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. He who is far off shall die by the pestilence. He who is near shall fall by the sword. And he who remains and is besieged shall die by the famine. Thus will I spend my fury upon them. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. When they're, when they're slain among their idols all around their altars, on every high hill, on all the mountaintops, under every green tree, and under every thick oak, wherever they offered sweet incense to all their idols. So I will stretch out my hand against them and make the land desolate. Yes, more desolate than the wilderness toward Dibla in all their dwelling places. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. All right. So it's a second oracle. It sounds pretty similar to the last one, but it has some unique elements to it, right? Um, the first is, what did I call this? And uh, verse 11. Oh, yes, an action prophecy. Now, I'm, I suggest to you on the notes that this probably has a different cultural significance than it does for them, than it does for us, to pound your fists and stamp your feet and, and then cry out, alas, aha, or something like that. Um, whatever this is, this is meant to be offensive. It doesn't sound all that offensive. It just sounds like... Actually, it does sound, kind of sound like a temper tantrum. Like Patrick? It does sound like Patrick. Do you, do you ever pound your fists and stamp your feet and yell? You won't. Okay. I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then... Right. If anything, this would definitely get the people's attention. Right? And be like, ah, I think the prophet's losing his marbles. Or at least, or at least he lost his uh, his feces, his dung, as they say. No, no. Dorothy, watch your fingers. Move your fingers. Thank you. All right. So then, uh, what else? Abominate. For they will fall. Oh, there it is. They will fall by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. Sound familiar? Like we saw back in Leviticus 26. Just summarized here, right? Those who are far off will be pestilence. Those who are near will be by the sword. And then whoever's left will be besieged and die of famine. That sounds pleasant. But remember, we heard, we saw back in verse 8, the remnant. So just keep that in the back of your mind. There will be a remnant. And, that, and even here, it's actually, this is an interesting expression because this also actually goes with the remnant expression. Huh, you say? I don't know if you said. Huh? There you go, Don. Thank you, Don. All right, I guess I have to push the highlights. Thus I will, will I spend my fury upon them. All right. So, hmm. What's the, what's the, the good news of that expression? I know it's kind of a hard thing to say it's good news. What, what's good about it? When we say something is spent, what do we mean? Not quite. Not quite what? It's done. Not, not quite, but that's right. It is done been used up right when something's spent it's been used up so he's going to exact all his fury upon them until it's done like you say until it's all used up right. uh, i don't know where else this could be except for at the cross right 
when all of his wrath and fury against sin is finally poured out and ended. And there's, it's finished. Yeah, Jesus even said it. That's right. Right. Uh, notice there's some verbs in there too, um, in this whole section. Uh, Ron already pointed out that they will know Yahweh, right? Uh, but they will remember and they will loathe themselves. I mean, isn't that interesting? They will loathe themselves. What does that sound like? Huh. Where's the loathe themselves? What, what verse is that? They shall know when they slain their idols on every high mountaintop, under every... God, I'll stretch out my hand. I translated that differently. Now I have to look here at the other translation. How did I miss that? Then you will know that I am Yahweh when they're slain among their fecal deities around their altars on every high, etc., etc. I will stretch out my hand. I will make the land desolate. And then they will know. Oh, there we go. Yeah, but they will loathe themselves on account of the... I mean, this is the description of what repentance looks like. All right? So, um, you know, God says, what are the three parts? He says, here's what I said. And you say, oh, yeah, I remember. And he says, you know what this means about you? And they're like, yeah, I know. And then he says, you know who I am? Yes, we know who you are, right? And you say, and then the next thing that's left out here is, please forgive me for the sake of Jesus, right? But the repentance part is, is the same, right? Um, and maybe we don't repent enough of the things that, we, we maybe repent of our personal sins, um, but maybe we need to repent of the sins of our congregation or of our community or of our nation, right? I know you don't feel you're responsible for whatever idiocy is coming out of Washington, D.C., and pretty much you're not responsible for them, except for the fact that you've been joined to them, and they, they are the representatives of our nation, whether we like them or not. So we should at least pray for them and maybe even ask God to repent them, right, like we do in church, and just do that daily. All right. And then we see like an aftershock here at the end, as I said. It's like, oh, yes, I'm going to stretch out my hand right, on their altars, on the high hills, on the mountaintops, on every green tree, every other thick oak. Oak worship is a big deal. I mean, even Abraham, where does he get buried? Under the oaks of? You probably don't remember. Mamre, that's right. Wherever they offered sweet incense to all their idols. He's just going to go through and wipe it all out. So not one stone is left upon another. Hmm, that sounds familiar. Not one stone left upon another. Where have we heard that? Jerusalem. Referring to the temple in Jerusalem. Why? You have take, you've taken my house. It's meant to be a house of prayer. I made it a, a den of thieves. Yeah, a house of robbers. Right, and so what, what does God promise will happen to it? Not one stone left upon another. Right, be destroyed as he does to every place of false worship, even the ones where he had previously promised to put his name. Right? But when they reject his name and his word, it's wiped out. He does this to churches too, by the way, eventually. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it in our own recent time. What's the big one that would be famous? Um, did you follow like uh, Mars Hill out west coast? They had uh, 36 locations or something all up and down the western seaboard, originally based out of Seattle area. Mars Hill, yeah. So Mark Driscoll was the lead guy. And uh, yeah, I don't remember if it was embezzling or if it was philandering or maybe a little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah, it all went to his head. You know, when you're the big shot pastor of 
you know, a multi-point church that has locations all the way down into California, and you're being beamed into all those churches every week. Yeah, and then. Yep. Yep, it's it's true. Yeah, they are huge, and people follow after them. But God won't. That, and that would have been a, a nice uh, way to end the sermon today, actually, um, which I thought of, and then I forgot to write it down. And then I thought of it again before the sermon, and then I forgot to, I didn't write it down, and then I forgot to say it. But, um, yeah, well, my brain at the moment, I'm a little distracted. Uh, but when it comes to, like, all of, yeah, like all the distractions we have, and even here, you'll speak more boldly, the idols that we that we worship, which was in the sermon at the end. Um, God will overcome them, right? He will be your God and you will be his people. It's not exactly a gospel ending, though, right? Because, like I said, that's going to be a violent act. I love the way that uh, Praise the Almighty says it. Now I remember the name of the hymn. That's beautiful. I usually can't remember the name of the hymn, but it's like the, the last, I think it's the end of the first stanza, or maybe it's the last stanza. Cast every idol from its throne, for you are Lord and Lord alone, to God alone, uh, to God all praise and glory. Yeah, that's, that's, that sounds very nice. It is for the believer, but it's not so much for the sinner. <laughs> Cast every idol from their throne. Well, where's the idol set up? Yeah, so he's going to be doing heart surgery on you. Open heart surgery with the, with the sharp sword of his word. Right, which is violent, but it heals, right? Yeah. So that's a fun chapter. We had fecal deities, and we had, and we had a whoring. So, yeah. Well, that's always pleasant conversation. Do you think it's going to get better in the next chapter? Uh, no. The next chapter, the end has come. <laughs> yeah. So this is all really good. It's actually a great book to be reading during Advent. Yeah. The end is coming. Yeah. It's very, it's very much Advent. This is all Advent themes. Um, and now you can hear maybe a richness that we just don't quite get, you know, with just a few readings and, um, the brief sermon in church. And now you understand why I talked about idolatry in the sermon in kind of a strong way. Because I had been reading Ezekiel. <laughs> and it comes out, doesn't it? All right. I think that's a good place to end. Anybody have any questions that we didn't answer? All right. So you can go around calling all your idols fecal deities. Just mock them. You little dung god, you. Whatever it is. Here, just pull one of them out. Yeah, right, right. Well, it is, I think. All right, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, you sent your son Jesus to redeem us, uh, the remnant who has come to save his people from their sins. We ask that you would um, set Jesus alone in our heart and take every idol um, off that throne, that the Lord would rule um, for us in grace and mercy and peace and give us comfort and hope uh, for the days ahead. In Jesus' name. Amen. If any of you uh, are not busy, uh, if you could do me a hand. I just need to set up like a little assembly line to fold and staple the bulletin for the funeral. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.